we're back with another episode of the Repu podcast and uh, doing it a little differently with this episode. We're we're going to talk to uh, a couple of people that I used to work with over at G2, and uh, we'll, we'll let them introduce themselves. But the idea of this episode is um, individual contributors, which both Natalie and Caroline have been, and and what their path to leadership has looked like and what it's looked like now that they're in leadership. So uh, I will turn it over to them to do some quick intros, and uh, we'll take it from there. Thanks for joining us. Do you want to go first, Cece? Sure. Do you? <laughs> oh, okay. Hi, I'm Natalie Durow. Um, I manage one of our mid-market teams at G2. Um, I've been at G2 for six years as of yesterday. So yeah, excited nice. to be here. And I'm Caroline Sellis, but as Nat mentioned, I go by CC. Everyone calls me CC. Um, I'm currently our Senior Director of Global Business Development. So I lead our business development strategy across a few teams. And I've been with G2 almost five years now gosh you the both of you have more longevity than i than i ever think i could have but i also joined well no i think natalie joined earlier than i did so i'll give you that that's mm -hmm. impressive um yeah. well yeah thank you thank you both for hopping on um one thing i'm gonna say about cc that that really stands out was i and, and you know this story but i remember going through like gong data at g2 and going Gosh, CC's been here for probably maybe two or three months at the time and like had the lowest talk time of any rep at, at that time. It was like 30%, which was way below what everybody else was. It was probably like 40 or 50, which is, I think, like kind of industry standard. But um, I, I always that always stood out to me. And I remember your answer. I don't know if you remember your answer to that, but I do. <laughs> you? Yeah, I was like, well, I'm pretty new, so I don't really know anything yet. <laughs> I can't talk so much because I don't know what to to talk about so just let them talk and tell me about their business and align from there that's should be sales training for everybody just tell them that yeah. like i feel <laughs> don't like don't know too much because then you can't overshare <laughs> yeah two, two ears one mouth i guess is probably the the lesson there yeah <laughs> um well yeah i would love to start with um uh like I said, the whole idea of this is why did you decide to go from ice from an individual contributor in sales to leadership? Because it's not necessarily a money thing for a lot of people. It could be, they may think it might be. Um, but we'll, maybe we start with you, Cece, and, and you answer, you know, what kind of sparked uh, why you considered leadership versus potentially just staying as, as an IC. Yeah, I think there's a couple things. One, um, when I was an IC and I was helping other folks so like um we can probably get into this at some point but helping bdrs with messaging um i got more satisfaction out of their wins than my own wins so i think like folks who are leaders um like truly leaders and not like managers um usually derive more satisfaction from helping other people win and that just gives like them that that warm and fuzzy side um the other thing is i was hearing about like sort of tangentially like strategic projects and I was like itching to get involved in them I was like oh gosh I that sounds really interesting that sounds challenging and um yeah so I think it would have to be like some of the more strategic projects that I wasn't really going to get access to as an IC that I wanted to be involved with as the, as a second part what do you think drove that like what in your head said I want to get involved in this. Like what, what, what was driving you towards that? 
it, um, I think those sort of projects, it feels like you can have a wider impact, like, okay, they're working on something that would help everyone on the sales floor be 2% more productive, which is more, more than makes up for even if I was a killer rep. Um, so I think it was like wider reach. And then the other piece, like the cross-functional part, like as an IC, in my experience, I just wasn't super cross-functional. And I was like, okay, what is, what do those product people do? Like, I don't even know what they do. What do people, what do the, um, like sales ops people do and, and yeah, getting to get familiar with their roles and, and how like the levers on every different team, if you coordinate, um, can drive a lot of impacts. I think that was it. Yeah, that's good. What about you, Natalie? Um, I definitely agree that I found that I got more fulfillment out of helping other people, but I kind of stumbled into it, to be completely honest. I, <laughs> when I joined G2, we were very much like a startup um, and we were growing super quickly. And there was a lot of opportunity to kind of carve out like playbooks or like, this is how you do this role well. So I did that on the BDR team. And then I think I was like the second wave of SMB AEs that existed at G2. Um, and I made like a playbook for outreach and how I thought like calls should be run that I kind of just used for myself because I'm very process oriented. And then as people started to get hired and I would basically say here, this is like where I put all of my stuff. Um, and I saw that it would help them. That's when I realized I really liked the coaching component of things. Um, and then I, I kind of got it in my head from that point on. That's what I wanted to do. So did anybody ask and, you to do that? Um, Heather Reed, who used to manage the BDR team yep. uh, on the BDR side of things, basically asked me to help with the onboarding of the new BDRs. Um, and SMB, I kind of just did it because I was like, I need process and I need a place where everything is. So I just made it because it's how I like work best and learn best. Got it. Sorry, Cece, you were going to say something. And the thing to know about Nat's, like your earlier point is... Nat was like an insane IC. Like Nat's yeah. numbers were crazy. So like you know for sure she's not making that decision based on money. Um, she just like you have to derive like a certain amount of satisfaction to leave behind the kind of commission checks that, that Natalie <laughs> was walking away from at the time. So she's just being humble about the fact that she was killer at it. So it was a, <laughs> a bigger decision for her than than us mere mortals over here. <laughs> well, and it's funny too, because like if you look at Nat's uh, LinkedIn, like the longest tenure of any role at G2 has been this commercial sales manager role, followed by yeah. SMB sales manager, and everything else was like less than 12 months. Yeah, I got in and moving her up. I got in at a good time. We were we were scaling. So no, don't be humble. No, no, no. You're good. <laughs> You were good, Nat. You were good. I do remember you had this this whiteboard on your desk of like all this stuff that you wanted to accomplish, and it was probably oh gosh, from commission yes. checks. I don't. I think it was like some. I don't remember exactly, but I was like, yeah, I don't. I think you were probably the only one that had something like that. It was like a little yeah, I used to little check vision them board. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, oh, sales manager. I never saw that one on there, but here you are. <laughs> Um, I think I know the answer to this, but was there somebody that you saw in leadership that made the both of you want to get into leadership? We probably have the same answer. I think I you're going to say is. Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle Vu. Yeah. She is everything that a, a true like leader. Yeah. I try to be intentional about that language that a true leader should be. And it is evidenced in the way that if you look at, I think almost every 
female leader at G2 has come out from under Michelle Booth. Like she yep. unintentionally by just being a super inspiring leader cranks out first time I see to leader like female talent. Yeah. It's sort of insane. And every time I get the opportunity to highlight that and in all hands or something, I try to because it's like unreal. Yeah. yeah and I, she's really good at also like advocating for us internally. Like my first leadership role was for a new team we were building that I didn't even know conversations were happening, but I had talked to her in our one-on-ones because she was my direct manager at the time. And she basically told the person trying to build that you should go talk to Natalie. And like, I would have not raised my hand for that. She just has like a lot of confidence and pushes us to do really well. So definitely Michelle. Yeah. I, I, I remember when I went from IC to leadership at G2, I just picked her brain all the time and she, she is very, very good at what she does and just so good at the, 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 I think the hearts and minds of like getting people bought into like her vision and, yes. and it yeah. carries over into team performance. Like I, between Francis who came out from the Michelle coaching tree and um, I'm trying to, the two of you, obviously there's, there's some really good people that have reported to Michelle at one yeah. point at G2 still. And then yeah. elsewhere now. Yeah. She's just great at the why she's great at understanding that like people don't come to work every single day to just like put numbers on the board for G2, right? She's like, right. Well, I know the specific things that you're trying to accomplish in your personal life, that this is going to help you do that. Um, and I mean, it's, it's such, comes from such a genuine place that there's, if you come out from under that, like, that's just, that's all, you know, that's how you want to lead. So I think, yeah. that's, you know, hopefully what our reps feel. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to have your reps talk to Michelle and see, or, or someone else maybe that's reported to Michelle and just kind of see if there's, if there's been carry over there. Like if you guys, if you've done it like a 360 review of that. Yeah. Um, or maybe you don't want to, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Roast us. Yeah. Really. yeah. Well, but, but to your point on like the personal side, it's like not everybody has the Natalie Darrell whiteboard on their desk that they're trying to check things off, but they probably have it in their head. Everybody's got their own like basic reasons of why they do what they do and why they got into mm -hmm. sales and it's not necessarily about the money it's what the money can potentially do for you yeah oh yeah i mean like my team we quite literally do like quarterly vision boards um which can feel a bit like kitschy but it's really important and it keeps us accountable and we push each other on the smart goals that is literally like a copy pasted deck from michelle Boo. <laughs> like, i remember yeah. her doing that yeah 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 nice um what uh was it just michelle or is there anybody else that you that you saw that wanted you to kind of get into it as well? Um, I mean, I think also just for me, Heather Reed, just because she was like my first true boss I ever had, like coming out of college into the corporate world. And I think that she had a lot more faith in me than I had in myself at that point in time. So, I mean, they have very different leadership styles, but I think both were what I needed at the time when I was working under them. Um, and she was the one who kind of set me on the path being like, you can do these types of things like, by having me like step up as a leader, like on the first team I was on. So, yeah. 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 Heather was, Heather was great. And she was there at such a like integral time of like launching outbound at scale when yeah. it had never been done before. Yeah. Yeah. It's stressful. Yeah. I mean, I remember having conversations with her. I was like, the, just, just the, how, like, like Nat, how big did the team grow from when, like, let's just take the SDR team from when you started to maybe uh, let's say post series C in like 2019. Um, I honestly don't know, but like we grew a ton because we had, we, when I started, we just had enterprise AEs and there was like four of them. 
And now it's a full, full blown team. And now there's an SDR and a BDR function. So it's like an entire org versus when I started, I think there was like nine of us, maybe 10 tops. And we were supporting a bunch of AEs just trying to make it work. So it's really expanded a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember walking in on like, I think it was like every other Monday, there'd be like a new hiring class. Like, who are these people? It's getting massive. (laughs) Yeah. Um, what let's get into like some tactical things of like the specific steps that you took internally to get into leadership. Maybe it was conscious or if you look back in hindsight, maybe subconscious, but there's, there's usually like a process that people go through that they, and maybe, maybe unless they got tapped. Um, but usually like if you express that you want to get into leadership, like what are some specific things that you did? I think for my first role, it really was just good timing and Michelle literally tapping me on the shoulder. But I think since then, what I try to do is like, obviously, like, you need to look and understand like what you need to be doing in the role you're currently in, try to be one of the best doing that. So if there's a situation, at least performance wise, that is a no brainer. But then also identifying like the gaps in between the role that you're in and where you want to go, how you can get better at that on the side while still doing what you're doing. And then also make sure you're having conversations internally with whoever's radar you need to be on. Like, it's great to tell your direct manager, but you want to bubble that around to whoever it might be. So I kind of like create a map in my head of like, what do I need to do to get there? And then kind of work backwards from there. It's almost like closing a deal. It's like closing a deal. Yeah. Kind of map it out. (laughs) Champions. What is the actual process going to look like? What needs to be done? Timelines, (laughs) budgets. Yeah. Yeah. What what about you, Cece? Yeah, I think like as much as you possibly can try to do the job before someone gives it to you. So it's a no brainer Mm -hmm. when you go and ask for it. So like my example was, um, I had two, my BDR and one other BDR who were brand new. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to make it my mission to help onboard these folks, make them successful, um, like take them under my wing a little bit. And it was twofold. One was like, I think this is something I'm interested in. And this is how I can test it out and be sure or cross it off the list. And the other is like, I don't want when I go into my interview conversation, if a role there eventually opens, I don't want to say, I think I could be good at this. I want to say, I am good at this. Here are examples of how I've done it. Now let me do it at a larger scale. Um, So I think that's really probably the biggest thing that you can do. Um, But I really would underscore Nat's point about like being vocal about what you're interested in and mm-hmm. asking a mentor or a boss, like what skills gaps do you think I have right now? Um, because they, you might have blind spots on your own um, experience. And so like, I have these conversations with my boss. I'm like, Hey, here's where I want to go next. What do you think I need? And they introduce me to someone or they tell me like, you you don't do this in your role right now. So we got to figure out a way for you to get exposure to this. Like, so for me, if I want to go to a closing manager, like I'd have to figure out how to do forecasting. Like, can you take a course? Can you observe the meeting? Like, what can you do to give yourself exposure so you can say that you did everything um, to do the job before you have it? Yeah, I couldn't agree with, couldn't agree more. Um, do you feel like as an AE, and and that might have a different perspective uh, versus CC, because CC, you came in as an AE to G2 and then went yeah. into leadership. But now you went SDR to AE to, to AE manager. So do you, do you feel like AEs have a somewhat of, I don't know if duty is the right word, but do they have some level of responsibility to make sure that their SDRs are respond, are successful? Um, I mean, we, our pod right now for mid-market, like we, ha- we work closely with the BDRs. I think that 
well, one, they're responsible for a portion of your pipelines. So you want them to be successful selfishly. Right. right. Um, but two, I just think that like you're setting them up for success. And I think that like something I try to keep in mind is like at one point, like when I had just started, I had just graduated. I had no idea what I was doing. Like I literally cried on my first day of G2, TPT. Um, <laughs> but like, I think that like, it's just important to kind of like pay it forward. I don't think you need to like hold their hand all the time, but like, what I have my reps do now is like, if you have good strategic outreach, BCC them on it so they can see it. And then they can take that and send it in their outreach, like loop them into like, we're doing, we're organizing our books right now and we're doing ABRs. And I created a part where the BDRs and the AEs are going to talk together about how they'll attack their books together. So it's like, give them opportunities, but don't let it get in the way of your function, but go out of your way to see if there's ways for them to kind of come along with that. Yeah. And, and have you seen AEs that were successful that didn't maybe take an SDR or BDR under their wing because of the selfish reasons? Uh, successful, like, sorry, oh, like, you, I don't understand. Yeah, like they, like they kill the number, like they kill their number, but like they don't necessarily have a great relationship with their SDRs. Um, yes, like, but I think it's a situation of those reps are very good at the full sales cycle as well. Like they will do a ton of prospecting or they were given a very good BDR where they don't need to have that relationship. But that is a smaller number than the ones who have a good partnership because the, the pipeline will always be there. If both of you are like fully functioning. So. Yeah. Agreed. It should definitely be a good partnership. And it's easy for you. Like you, you just kind of hit the nail on the head. Like you did that as kind of a trial run to figure out if that's what you wanted to get into long-term management wise. Yeah. I think it was like the only way to know. Cause you, you can also like, um, romanticize what like being a leader at a company is if if you don't have the full scope and in some ways I definitely did um so like there's like a realistic side that that you need to consider too but I think it helped me get more clarity yeah well I think that's a good good segue into the next question of how is leadership different than you thought it would be um I think that it's not necessarily different. I think I underestimated how difficult it would be, not the overall role, but like there are times where there are company-wide initiatives and you have to balance like the emotion of the reps and also why it is best for the business. And you, I have close relationships with my reps, but it, you have to think business first and hope that you've instilled enough trust in them that they know that one, you're going to help them through whatever change it is you're going through, but two, you have their best interest in mind. Um, and I just did not anticipate that being like as like delicate of a dance as it is. So that's definitely like what I didn't think I would struggle with. That is tough. Is there is there an example that that you're open to like maybe going a little deeper on that that's come up without giving away like too much business insight? Yeah, I mean, we've undergone a couple of restructurings. Um, I think that's part of being like a growing company. And I think anytime that you're leading people who they're impacted, like, and there's a lot of unknowns, or you're trying something new for the first time, like, people will always revert back to, well, this is how it used to be. That's where I'm comfortable. Why is this happening? Why is this changing? Yeah. Some things you can't share with them, some things you can. And it's really like giving them the environment where they feel comfortable to like air that out and then say, you know, okay, we've, we've all talked about this, but together let's, let's move forward and figure out how to navigate this versus just being like, this is how it is. And I don't like, it's not changing. So I can't, I don't care how you feel about it. Like I like to try to let them have that. 
Um, and then at some point though, I do say like, we have to move forward and accept like kind of where we're at. Um, so anytime there's change or restructure, that's kind of how I've done it. Yeah. It's a good, good mature way to do it. What about you, Cece? Um, I think <laughs> like some of the things I didn't expect was the amount of like reporting and like things like that, that are just not sexy and not exciting. Um, like all of the Salesforce work, but it makes you better at like extracting decisions from data. So there's that portion of it. Um, but I think Nat's point is a good one. Um, I think I underestimated how much work I probably needed to put into the way I communicate things and like mm -hmm. the responsibility you have as a leader um, to be a buffer in some situations or even like let's say you just had a meeting with your manager and it didn't go well, like kind of needing to shift back into like your leadership mentality. Like I can't let that affect my team. That does more harm than good. So I think there's like more control of your own emotions and yeah. more like tactical, tactical communication than I thought. Um, because I always just figured like, Oh, I'm a pretty good communicator. Like that'll all be easy. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't know, it, it required a bit more polish than I think I initially anticipated. Ha, ha, and this is a good kind of thinking about this because you, you both have, you both were in leadership prior to COVID and, you know, being, being remote and now kind of a permanent remote situation. How do you feel like leadership, like being a remote leader, like, like Natalie, you're obviously in New York. You've got people in Chicago yeah. and and elsewhere. How do you how do you feel like being a remote leader is maybe different than when everybody was back in the office? Um, so I was only an in person leader for two months. So there's a part of me that like really hasn't known any different. Yep. Um, but I think that like I think you just have to be more intentional with with the time that you spend with your team. You obviously don't want like meeting fatigue, but I do try to make it so that my team is meeting enough that one, we're learning from each other, but we also have like relationships with each other. Uh, so the structure of my week, I've thought about a lot. Um, and I think that also like, I think the toughest part too is like when we were in person, like I after I went home, like I wasn't slacking, maybe my boss asking questions. I think now that the line is blurred, blurred, like I want them to actually log off and enjoy their personal life. But also like, I don't want to slack at 10 o'clock at night. So it's like setting those boundaries too is not something I had anticipated. But again, I have not really known leading outside of it very much. So yeah, the organic cocktails at like South Branch aren't there anymore. Just <laughs> yeah, having those conversations. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what about you, Cece? Does, is your team remote? We're actually hybrid. And so I was fully in person for a year-ish of leadership and then fully remote. And then now for the past like year and a half, we've been hybrid. We go in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Got it. So so how is that? How, like, have you gotten any kickback on being hybrid? Because it's an, it, it's an interesting model. I haven't been a part of it. Yeah. Um, I think like, you know, some people probably would prefer to be a hundred percent remote. Like I'm very open about it in our hiring process. Like this is how we do it. If, if that works for you, I actually think I get more people who are excited about the prospect of getting the connectivity two days a week in office, like Tuesday, mm -hmm. Thursday, but still getting the flexibility. I think part of it has to do with um, the junior type of role folks who are looking for that um, social yep. aspect of the office, maybe more than others. But honestly, for me, um, I think that 
totally remote leadership is insanely hard. Like, I think it's really hard to train and develop people in a totally remote environment. Like we've just been programmed from TikTok, Netflix, a hundred other things that like when we're on a screen, um, it's easier to pay attention to something else than if we were in person. And so um, I try to align team meetings, one-on-ones, trainings to the in-office days, and then, um, you know, over-index on independent work on the from home days. And then once they sort of graduate out of the BD org, there's plenty of fully remote opportunities, but I think it sets G2 up to send a, set a really good foundation of knowledge and learnings, um, having done a little bit of that in person, and then they can move out of that eventually. Yeah. Gosh, I couldn't imagine being like 23, 24, 25 <laughs> and like remote. Like that sounds awful. Like I get it. With like, like three roommates. <laughs> yeah. Like three roommates, maybe a couple dogs, like yeah. feeling like you might need to go to like a relative's house to work sometimes. Or, <laughs> that's brutal. I can't even imagine. But so oh, I have yeah. a lot of respect for, for people that are doing it. Yeah. Um, I think as you maybe mature in your career more, you're like, I love it. Like I can totally. laundry done during the day or whatever. Um, uh, what about like, what would, what advice would you give to anybody that's like, Hey, I'm, I'm debating this. I, I think I want to do this, but I'm not sure. Like what advice would you give them? I wish they just have conversations with people who have done it. Like you don't know what you don't know. And I think that like also shadowing is also something that I've done like I mean I guess it's a little different like when I was an AE I would shadow shadow something like upmarket I don't know how you could like shadow a leader but talk to them try to get involved and in, like things that they're doing ask them what they like about it what they don't like about it and then identify like kind of what Cece said like trying to do the job a little bit before you've already done it to give yourself some pseudo experience so you can decide like oh actually I really don't like that or I do um but I'm glad I did it. I like it. So yeah. Longest tenure in a single role. <laughs> exactly. Sales management. <laughs> Cece, I think, I think you probably have some similar sentiment, right? Yeah. I would say like <clears throat> get a mentor who is in a role that you would potentially want to be in. Like just yeah. get that formal relationship um, set up. There are plenty of people who are in leadership are usually in it because they enjoy um helping and elevating other people so like it's exactly the kind of person who would probably want to mentor you as you go into your first one that's also right like you're building your your examples of how you're trying to make yourself a leader before you get the opportunity to do it and so like that's a great one for your narrative your story and your interview process but more importantly um you know getting the insight that, that person might offer and then that person becomes really valuable when you get into your first leadership role too so like Yep. Not that this is entirely an episode about Michelle Vu, but like the first time I had to have a difficult conversation, I literally role-played it with her. Like I was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to have to put someone on a pip. So we're going to have to talk through this because I'm scared to do it. And yep. that person becomes your trust tree, your advisor along the way. So they can help you get insight. Um, you can understand the skills gaps that you have. And then um, if the relationship is good and continues and it becomes a, you know, one of your tools in your toolbox when you first start. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. And having somebody that you used to report to be now almost a, like she's a peer at this point, uh, having that is just so big because I mean, you have this trusted relationship that you can go to. Yeah. Um, what about like the, I, cause I think the wave of leadership now is yeah, going to be, so, I, I, yeah, agreed. I, 
so the, let's think about like the next wave of potential leaders. How do you identify them and what, what are the strengths that they might need that maybe, you know, three or four years ago when you were both going into leadership, didn't, it wasn't necessarily as important as maybe something else now. Um, I don't know if it necessarily wasn't as important then as it is now, but I think just like emotional intelligence in general, like, I think that you need to be able to work well with a lot of different personality types. I think you need to be able to manage your emotional reaction to things and like not really stray the path. Like when you're presenting information back to your team, um, or like if someone loses a big deal, like you got to kind of pick them back up and be like, you know, that sucks, but like, let's keep going type of thing. Um, so I look for that. And then I think that also just people who naturally are helpers or natural coaches, like there's always people on any of the teams I've managed who will participate the most in a, a, a L and D session or help new people on board. So people who naturally kind of have that, I think those two things are super important. I think maybe it's harder to identify that sometimes remotely. So maybe that is the difference. Um, but I think those are two things that really set would set them up for success to be good leaders. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think um, also like kind of tying into the emotional piece, like someone who is level-headed. So like when yeah. changes happen on your team and you have like, I feel like there's a spectrum of your ICs where you're like, okay, I know these people are going to react in like maybe more of an extreme way and these right. people are middle of the road like right. the middle of the road folks are probably your best bet for leaders because they're going to have to interpret a lot of information manage their own emotions around it and then deduce that to another group of people so the people who are probably um a little too extreme um i think probably will have a challenge um because that will come through so i think there's that and then um yeah, there's so many folks who, without anyone asking, are going to like take on a new hire because they just remember what it was like to be a new hire and want them to get somewhere faster. Um, the people who, you know, have a little bit more involvement in um, helping other folks, especially if they're doing it when an IC, when it's like it it hurts you to help other people. Any moment you're not right. standing going towards your own number right. is taking away. So if people are doing it, um, because it's their natural instinct, like they just have an, you know, in quote unquote unfair advantage of being a leader and you should just tap, you should tap into that. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, that got me thinking about something else because you talked about extremity, you talked about time management, both like somebody that's on the extreme and somebody that's like, Hey, every minute that I spend not selling is a minute I'm not selling probably isn't the best leader which yeah. also is like this age old debate of like, should the top rep be a leader? And you could go back and forth on it. But what I've seen is typically like the number two, three, four reps tend to potentially make the best leaders because they're not extreme and they're, they're willing to help other people. Yeah. It's also a massive mindset shift to be like, yeah. I'm fully in control of my own destiny. This is the number in front of me. Like I can knock off those things on my vision board. Um, right all of my own volition versus like, uh Oh, now this is spread across a lot of people, which might sound good, but it's out of your control more than just your own number. So it's a big mindset shift. So I feel like sometimes people who are so successful at ICs, like that's kind of an exception, um, can sometimes 
it can be really hard to, to switch that over yeah. and it just might not be the way they're wired and they shouldn't fight the nature of it either. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Nat. Oh, I was going to say, I definitely like when you were asking like what surprised us the most, like I piggybacking to that, I agree like the shift in the mindset because I mean, I've said it a couple of times, like I like process. I'm kind of like a control freak, but I am not a micromanager. And so that was very hard to balance like their success is my success. My success is their success. Like going from an IC role into that, that was probably one of the hardest shifts. And I think that at times it's easy to be like, okay, well, I'll just do it. But you have to take a step back and realize that you're doing a disservice to their long-term development and growth if you do that. Um, So knowing when to step in, knowing when to let them like not fail, but like fall and then learn um, was probably also hard in terms of the shift or the change. What about... And maybe this is more more for Nat because you went from AE to AE manager versus mm-hmm. CC who went from AE to S to SDR BDR manager. But did you notice like let's say there's a top rep that is on your team who just had a completely different process than you had? Like, did it drive you nuts or like did you just use it as like a learning opportunity? Um, I love to see people do things differently, differently than me. Um, I don't want to ever get like stuck in the way that I do something. So it didn't really drive me crazy. I'd say it, like intrigued me. Like they maybe thought I was like annoying asking questions. I was like, I just think you do that better than I did. So I want to know right. how to do it now. Right. Um, I don't think that there's one way to do it, but I, I don't, I try not to get caught up in like, I was in this role and I did it well. Like, this is how you have to do it kind of mindset. Yeah, there's leaders like that though, which is not who yeah. you want to work for, in my opinion. But, <laughs> um, well, thank you both. Uh, any additional closing thoughts for anybody thinking about the IC, the leadership jump? If just ask yourself if it aligns with your values and what fills your cup, and if it does, I think you should go for it. You can always go back. Um, it, nothing yeah. is a permanent path, so I would say, like, I think I had some hesitation at like the final yard line. Um. And had a leader be like, you're, I mean, you can always go out of it. You can just try right. it. It's not permanent. Um, yeah. And so that was helpful for me. So if someone's on the fence, I think that could be helpful to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just like trust yourself. If you are going to make the jump, just like trust yourself in making the jump. I think I made the mistake of being anxious, like at every turn in the beginning. And it's like, you will figure it out. So just go into it with the mindset of like, I'm going to do well and learn when I need to learn versus like, I'm scared that I might not do well. You'll save yourself a lot of time. So, yep. Yep. Thank you both. Uh, appreciate you coming on, sharing your experiences. You've both got similar paths, but kind of different because you went, you know, CC obviously went to the SDR leadership side of thing, BDR side of thing. I still, in my head, have to think about what actually is an SDR versus a BDR. Everyone and, uh, uses it differently. <laughs> X, XDR. How about that? I, um, I like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, so thank you both for coming on and sharing that. And, uh, I think, uh, our rep community will, will hopefully get some value out of it. And, and maybe it's a final nudge for somebody that's thinking about it and thinking about going for it. Yeah. 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 Thanks Thanks for having us. us. Yeah. Thank you both. Good to see you. You too. Bye.